you very much indeed. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Good day, sir. How do you do? Uh, I do. <laughs> the change of, we were just talking about the change of season. Has it been, uh, Alan was saying there's a lot of coughs and colds going around. I think that's probably true, yes. I'm not sure, but I think that's, it's okay. likely it's a switch of, switch of temperature and so on and so on. And okay. uh, a good deal of it around, yeah, very likely. Um, I heard that Dr. White isn't well. Do we have any updates from Dr. White? Uh, he's in a generally uh, not good state of health. He's okay. sinking, but it's he's 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 taking his time to sink, so let's just say. So he okay. may last for quite a little while yet. And I think nobody knows. God knows, but I don't know if anybody else knows. Okay, right. Um, well, I was fascinated and riveted by your story. I, I I I think I knew the basics when we spoke before, but now I understand your journey much more deeply. Yeah. Um, so I, as the chapters proceeded, I found it more and more of, of a page turner and the, I think it was the fourth chapter. The second last chapter was, was an intense story. <laughs> I think my hair was blowing back. It was an intense, intense time for you. Yes. <laughs> um, so if you don't mind, I've, I've drafted, a maybe 15 questions or so to guide our conversation. Sure. Sure. If that. If that would go right do. ahead, right on. Go right ahead. Uh, and some some of them are lighter, just so you know. It's not all heavy. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, and because the first question has really kind of been on my mind for both you and Doctor Jones, but it's been a bit of a shock to me in recent years. But as Catholics, and more generally as Christians. We believe that only the truth will set us free. John 14, 6. Correct. Correct. Have you been have you been surprised during your journey to discover how uncomfortable some truths make many Christians? Uh, I I wouldn't put it that way. I, it's not occurred, it's never occurred to me that way. If I think about it, uh, it may be it may be a conclusion one could draw. Uh, certainly would be normal if some truths were more uh, unwelcome than others. But uh, truth is truth. So, you know, it, it's got such qualities to it that uh, um, it, it, it's a recompense uh, all on its own, so to speak. It's a reward all on its yes. own. Yes. So, um you know if you if you s stick to the truth uh it's worth finding every time so to speak sometimes yes. it's it's more inconvenient than others that's that's got to be true but broadly speaking it's it's a winner every time in a manner of speaking right I heard a good quotation during 2020. Somebody posted, um, they said, uh, when God and I stand alone in truth, we are the majority. 
<laughs> which I like that. Yes, sure. <laughs> but, um, yes, as, as it said, um, God and one, God and one are a majority. Yes, that's true. Yes, there it is. That's it. That must be it. Okay. Um, I liked very much how Dr. White wove the stories of saints and martyrs into this into your biography. Do you have a particular saint or martyr with whom you feel most connected? I'm very, very grateful, enormously grateful to St. Thomas Aquinas because he's the one that cleared up my liberalism in a sense. Yes. I, I, how can I say? It's it's like I was slugging through the, the marsh, wading through the marsh, and then suddenly I found myself on dry ground. Something like that. You know, it's uh, Thomas Aquinas just just cleared up uh, a mass of things. Just there's truth, pure and simple. Um, of course, he's not got much to say about the unfolding of the <laughs> of uh, the 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 hundred years. I mean, you know, the the 13, 14, 15, 16, and so on. The, the, no, no, he was he was he lived in the 13th century. Uh, he didn't have too much to say about all of the later centuries because he he wasn't in them. But on the other hand. He was right down to the bedrock of all of the centuries. So, you know, you, you can't say he had nothing to, nothing to say to these centuries following because um, he had everything to say. He was he's the great, the church's great guide and massive thinker. You know, clearing up so many problems, philosophical and theological problems. And doing it once and for all. Very few mistakes, so to speak. Uh, very few mistakes. And just giving to philosophy and theology, to truth, to to a grasp of, rea a grasp of reality, which, which has never been matched since, really. So that's my favorite scene. Well, that's one of my favorite scenes. Um, yes. You made all the difference to me. I'm. I. I. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm using the right language, but would his writings would that be considered part of the magisterium? Because I think the Catholic Church this is one thing we have that the other churches don't have which is the knowledge base that's evolved by great thinkers and great writers like St. Thomas Aquinas. Yes. So, I mean, Thomism became central in Catholicism until fairly recently, like uh, maybe the 50s or something. Um, I just somehow, <laughs> out, I'm not, people don't talk about it that much, I guess. I, I think I was raised in the culture of, of Thomism without it ever being explicitly stated. 
And, um, and I didn't really fully realize that until I read Dr. Jones book, Logos Rising in the first chapter, yes. I think he kind of lays it out. Yep. Um, and I think that's a strength and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if people are aware of that and it's really, yeah. Well, the, um, the bad guys today have tried to get away from St. Thomas Aquinas because they feel, they feel him to be like a prison. Mm. Now, that's, only, that's only a feeling because he's not a prison at all. Um, but that's how they take it. They don't like fixed truth. They don't want the truth. They want, they want freedom. And if I say that two and two are four and they're not five, that is a lack of freedom. I want to be free to say two and two are five. Now that's crazy, it's sick, but that's how modern man feels. He prefers freedom to truth. Our Lord says the truth will make you free, but modern man seems to think that the freedom will make you true. Freedom will give you truth. That's what Jefferson thought, Thomas Jefferson. He said, you know, um, put truth out in the marketplace and it will flourish. But that's, a that's quite simply a denial of original sin. That's assuming that human beings will respect the truth when they meet it. But that's not at all the case. They will, uh, there are, today's church is a church of refusing the truth when you meet it because you refuse to be pinned down by Almighty God. You're not interested in reality. You're, you're, you, you don't want reality. You, you don't want God's order. You want man's order. You want to replace God's order. Anything in order to replace God's order. And that means rejecting reality, and that means rejecting truth, and that means creating a world of lies, which is what we've got today. In all directions, lies, COVID, lies, 9-11, uh, lies, uh, and so on and so on. The Holocaust, lies, um, largely. There's a little right. foundation. Is it, they, there was right. a persecution of Jews in, in Germany, in the Third Reich, but the aim was not to kill, murder, exterminate Jews. It was to get them out of Germany which to quite an extent happened. But there, there was a, six million guests and so on. It's a gigantic lie upon which is based a whole world bent out of truth, bent according to lies. And um, the result is a world going crazy, right, like, like right now, and all on yes. the brink of Armageddon on the very brink of blowing itself up in, in a nuclear war. That's where, we, that's where this refusal of truth has got us to. Well, and, the funny thing, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, no, go on. Um, I just, the funny thing to me is, and my new, I mean, the circles that I've, I, I know a lot of people who aren't Catholic and kind of the modern new age people definitely a lot of kind of freedom-minded people 
they believe in natural law, which is also called God's law. And then if you go even a bit more new age, they all believe in karma. The idea of karma, like if you wrong somebody, it's going to come back on you, that kind of thinking. But if you say something like that means we need a moral authority, <laughs> if you if you say something like there's hard and fast black and white rules for morality, they go berserk. The idea yeah. that, that a, a, an external moral compass could help to guide directionally, they they can't. They 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 think it's a prison. They think you're trying to promote a theocracy. They won't. Accept any authority over above them. They, they, nothing is higher than man. Nothing is higher than human reason. Human reason is the tops. And we men must govern. We men must rule. We have got to rule and not God. So any power above man telling man what to do and not controllable by man, they don't like. They simply don't like, they don't want, and they reject. But it's, right. it's you know, a fact is stronger than the Lord Mayor. No, no, no. The Lord Mayor is stronger than any fact. That's the mentality of today. Yes. There, there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as facts. There's no such thing as... It's incredible. That is that that is a I mean, if I start to talk about facts and evidence, like during Corona, I had many arguments with people facts and evidence, uh, the, their eyes glaze over they, they, they I mean, and that's Dr. One of Dr. Jones's strongest themes is there's a group of people that believe truth is the opinion of the powerful. And there's a group of the people that believe the truth is the truth, no matter how it inconvenient it is <laughs> and uh so i try and say well imagine if you're in a jury you, you're you're on a jury trial and it's a bank robbery everybody's got their experts and everybody's got their evidence and you put it all on the table and you talk it through and weigh it out that means there's a truth you're going after based yeah. on evidence yes right right i don't know i can't that i don't know people glaze over <laughs> They, they, they've got their common sense, which keeps telling them the truth. Uh, common sense is a gift of God, part of our human nature to recognize what reality is around us. Um, but they don't want common sense. They don't want their own common sense because they, they want to be free because common sense is something that ties them down. Common sense will not tell them a lie not normally anyway it may, may it may make a mistake but it won't tell them a lie so it's always there it's the gift of god for us to recognize reality but men don't want it and that's why they um deny for instance the common sense difference between men and women which is right. it's sheer common sense. They're not the same. Right. Men are creatures of head and women are creatures of heart. And that's a marvelous complementarity. And the head needs the heart and the heart needs the head like in any human being. You, you, you neither can fulfill the function of the other. That's all observable. 
you can see it in all the you can see it in the animals any farmhand knows the difference between men and women between males and females he knows it in the cows he knows it in the chickens the cock and the hen and right a, a ram and a ewe a bull and a cow it, it's sheer common sense and observation so you know you're not going to have an easy time trying to persuade a farmhand that um that he's uh, that he's wrong when he says there's you're not going to say to him he's wrong when you when you say that he's he's inventing the difference between men and women he's not inventing it at all it's there in all of the animals right the, the males are usually aggressive and fighters and the women look after the children the, the females look after the children look after the little ones it's so it's so obvious that you know if you if you try to persuade a, an ordinary farmhand he'll just laugh. Right. What are you? You're a miserable city type, aren't you? You've got no idea of reality. You're 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 a freako. <laughs> I mean, the farmhand will, with luck, if he's if he knows his way around a bit, he'll know how to defend himself against these city city freaks these silly 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 creatures of modern universities and so on and so on who are who've got no common sense left at all they've they've worn it all out because they want to wear it out because they don't want common sense they don't want the sense of god's reality they want man's reality right and they're going to, they're going to stamp on and rub out as best they can God's reality, it's incredible. How yes. how it survived this long is is is, is a serious question. <laughs> yes. know, mankind, mankind should have run into the brick wall long ago on the on the course that he was following, but it's taken this length of time for, for him to reach the end of the course. Now we are practically at the end of the course, and we're on the very brink of the abyss. And we're going to topple over at any moment now if we don't watch out. Yep. Uh, there's a line from a, I think it's a Frank Sinatra song said something like, um, just ask the local gentry, they'll tell you it's elementary, <laughs> which is what yeah. you're saying. You talk to a farmhand, they'll just, they'll just shake their heads at, at you if you try and challenge them on gender differences, yes. that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and the other expression, I don't. I think I have it right. Doctor Jones uh, says another word term for morality is practical reason. It's just reasonable. There's a the reason that morality exists is because it's practical and, and reasonable. Yes, <laughs> and that's why they call it practical reason. Yeah. Okay, I'll go the next question. Um, okay, this is a two part question. Okay. In terms of the in terms of the family. Have you been surprised how the modern goal of being surrounded by loving and thriving grandchildren doesn't seem to be celebrated and admired as it once was? I have been reminded of this through all of the reproductive complications being experienced out there due to recent vaccinations. And there, there's a there's a quotation Dr. White had that I that that's relevant here. Um, could you comment, as Dr. White did, about the contrast between the seminarians in Akon 
1972 versus 2005. They were lacking what Germans call nest warm, the warmth of the nest. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> the family has suffered intensely and deeply because of this crazy philosophy. Because the family is a, a living organic reality and it's got to unfold according to certain rules. And if you fool around with those rules, family becomes impossible. Husband and wife can't stay together. Children can't stay under their parents' roof, uh, except for a short time, relatively short time. Parents don't know how to look after children. Children no longer know how to obey parents. It's all crazy. And man and wife can't look after one another. Could you could you see the contrast between the seminarians <clears throat> from 1972 to 2005 in terms of? Uh, he was kind of suggesting they were at in 2005 they were entering, but they were there was a cavity. They were missing that raising within the warmth of the nest. So there was a yes. there was an instability in them. They really needed yes. that bond, yeah, and that foundation. Yes, no, that's right. Surely that's right. Um, the, the, the women no, are no longer women. The, no, the women are striving to be men. They, in all the little provincial newspapers, in all the little provincial towns, the women, the girls, are trained to fight like tigers over a silly ball. I mean, the, the ball in, in the boys' sports is fine. Sport for, that kind of sport for boys is 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 a fight which the boys need. The boys need to fight. That's their business in life. Uh, but the girls do not need to fight. They need not to fight. They need to nurture, to look after, to 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 build, to feed, to walk, to keep warm, to. to to brood like a hen on, on his little chicks, so to keep them warm. And that's what a human mother is going to do. She doesn't sit on them like a, a hen sits on the chicks, but she certainly covers the children with her love. And they feel it, they sense it, they need it. They need it like they need the strontium in their bones. Their bones absolutely call for strontium. And their souls absolutely call for love. And it's the, mo the most natural thing in the world to see a mother showing love to her children. And it's not sentimental, it's not self-centered, which is, again, the problem of modern, modern family. So much selfishness. You, a family can't run on selfishness. That's why a number of parents or, or, or couples, that, young couples that marry, they don't want children because children will force them to be selfless. And, and children give happiness because they demand selflessness. Because I'm happier when I'm selfless and looking after somebody else because that's how God designed me. We should all be looking after one another. But modern man is, is the individual is supreme. I am supreme. Me, 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 me. And I don't care. I don't care really basically about anybody else. 
even if there are my own children. Yeah, it's just, it's a total washout of, of man's, man's inner God-given nature to be replaced by man's choice of nature, which is selfishness, selfishness, selfishness. You can't make a society with that. You can't make a society of, of selfish people. A society requires selflessness. The common it's good. much more common now. I mean, it's much more common now if you're if you meeting people in their sixties that they'll be talking about their latest um, trip, vacation, or their latest car or golf score, yeah. and not. I mean, I'm not saying that they they don't love their grandchildren. It's just it's just not something that's talked about that much. <laughs> how how many it's, grandkids do you have and how great are they and how are they doing you know that kind of thing i don't know it's just it's more about the materialism that's that's how it seems to me no that's surely right that's surely right the man is becoming more and more materialistic he's lost his soul he's lost the sense of his soul he's lost the importance of his soul what shall he profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul says Ali asks Ali. So men are on just simply on the wrong track altogether. They've they've lost God. They've lost themselves. And if they aren't careful, they're going to blow the whole thing up. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at. Yep. It's appallingly serious. But what can we do about it at, at this stage? Um, with the, what can you do it's amazing to me the foresight that that uh, archbishop lefebvre had to see this all coming when he did is amazing um did he actually hit you in the back of the head with a snowball at one point <laughs> I, I, i'm not sure that he actually hit i i think he shot he had a shot he took a shot, but I'm not sure that he hit. I can't remember. To tell you the honest truth, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, I wouldn't mind um, being hit by him. What's that? Say again. I wouldn't mind being. I wouldn't mind being hit by him. Yes. If he, he threw a snowball at me, I can't remember. I think he did once. I'm sure he did once. I can't remember whether he hit. That's all. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that he hit. Um, do you consider yourself as English as afternoon tea or as American as apple pie, as Dr. White referred to your parents? Um, well, my mother was of American parents. She was born and bred in Paris, but she was of American parents. Therefore, I, it's a, I'm a little like Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill once said, I'm one. I'm fifty percent American and one hundred percent British. <laughs> that, that might might sort of be my answer, because I That's my good. mother was American. She had she had uh, my grandmother. My mother's mother came from Toledo, Ohio, and my mother's father came from Monroe, Michigan. Okay. My father, my grandfather, settled in Paris. Uh, with a with a leather business, and he had a factory on the banks of the Seine, 
and uh, he spent his life, his working life in, in France, in Europe. And I'm not even sure that he often went back to the United States as a visitor. But he and his American wife stayed in a very nice flat in, in Paris while he worked there. And she raised uh, raised my mother. Okay. Interesting. They were they were okay. That's an interesting cultural history there. Um, how important was your command of Latin and Greek in your deep understanding of the Catholic faith and doctrine, as well as the Thomistic school of theology? Very important. Um, I'm very grateful for the I-class uh, classical education that I received in England through no virtue of my own, but because my parents um, put me there. Um, it was, uh, Latin and Greek is the best of all educations. I'm absolutely convinced. Um, for three reasons, uh, which I can give you if you like. Sure. Uh, one, um, it's a discipline. Latin is a sheer discipline. Uh, in English, you switch things around, it makes no difference. The slave killed the queen, the queen killed the slave. Uh, soap opera-wise is completely different. Uh, in English, it's you, you just switch the words around. But in Latin, you've got to change the cases. Servus occidit reginam, regina occidit servum. Uh, you've got to, you've got words. I have seen vidi. Um, I ha had seen videram. The, the word, the, 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 the nouns and the verbs change according to the person, according to the mood, and so on and so on. Therefore, you've got to think a lot more to translate from English into Latin than from English into French or English into uh, any, other, any other language. The modern languages are automatically easier than the classical languages. Greek and Latin, you've got to think all the time. You've got to think. So, so with Latin, you learn to think. That's one thing that modern nation refuses to do. The criminals running modern education, running the modern world, running modern society, running modern education, the criminals want to dumb down the those learning. And therefore, modern education is a wasteland, an absolute wasteland. Uh, but even at its best, it's no match for Latin and Greek. Uh, secondly, so first, you've got the mental discipline, just like in mathematics. Um, the, uh, mathematics is also a mental discipline, it's true. But mathematics is absolutely inhuman. Mathematics, chemistry, physics, uh, technology, computers, uh, all of these modern scientific, quote-unquote, scientific subjects are, are inhuman. You're getting no human education. You're getting simply a technological training with no soul to it whatsoever. 
Whereas you, you, in Latin, you're already re you're reading Julius Caesar, you're reading Virgil, you're reading these tremendous human documents, which uh, are incomparable. Virgil was the very best poet of, of Rome, and it served as a, a morality book in the Middle Ages. People used to flip open a copy of the Aeneid to find a line, to find the wisdom they needed for their, 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 the present moment of their lives. And they found it. There's, because there's a lot of human wisdom, of human wisdom in, the, in, in Virgil. For instance, take for instance, I'll give just, just one instance. Um, Flectory seen lequio superos acorondum of Abel. If I cannot bend the higher powers, I'm going to turn to the powers of hell. Yeah, yeah, that's a human reality, a human emotional reaction and reality. I'm, I'm learning about life when I read a verse like that. It makes me mm -hmm. think, makes me think about human behavior. I learn about human behavior. That's something that's right. liable to happen. Happen, somebody who gives up on God and turns to hell, turns to the powers of hell. That's just an example. And there's plenty of those. Infandum regina yobes renovare dolorem. This is Aeneas himself in the big book two, uh, being persuaded by Dido, Queen Dido of Carthage, to tell the story of how he got to Carthage from Troy. Um, Oh, Queen, you order me to renew an unspeakable grief. Again, uh, the woman working on the man and the man responding. Oh, woman, you order me to renew an unspeakable grief of his journey. Uh, it was a painful journey, difficult journey, so... But he, he then tells the story. I mean, you've got all of this humanity, this humanness all the time. In, in Virgil, it's particularly noble. But then you've got another little exa another example in Catullus. Catullus, uh, a little poem, uh, a short little poem. Uh, Virgil is 12 books, a long poem, an epic poem. But the, um, he writes a little, a little poem about his girlfriend who has lost her bird, her favorite sparrow bird. <laughs> she, uh, she rebukes the little bird, um, and so on and so on. It's human, whereas the, the sciences are completely inhuman. It means the scientists know all about matter, and they know nothing about the soul, nothing, nothing, nothing. They're proud of knowing nothing about the soul because the soul is inaccurate. The soul is vague. The soul is not mathematical. For, for goodness sakes, mm -hmm. their idea of reality is mathematical reality is what matters. It isn't. Mathematical reality is, is well, it's true that there are some great philosophers that have been mathematicians. That's true. But uh, the great philosophers you will find will add something much more than just mathematics, even if they are also mathematicians, uh, and so on and so on. 
So that's one. one. Yes. It's, it's Latin and Greek uh, um, are human, profoundly human. Two, um, I'm sorry, they're a discipline. They're a, they're a discipline, but much but a human discipline, not just an inhuman discipline, like the sciences. Number two, the um, the uh, it's human. It's our history. The Latin and Greek are our history, the origins of our history, the origins of Western okay. civilization. Um, Western civilization is a combination of uh, of a um, combination of Latin and Greek and Hebrew. Uh, there okay. were three languages. There were three languages on the cross. Um, Jesus and Nazareth, King of the Jews, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Those three languages. The two of them are natural, and one is supernatural. Latin and Greek were the natural preparation by providence for the coming of Christianity. Uh, Hebrew was the supernatural preparation. And the two of them combined to form Christianity. Uh, so it, Latin and Greek are deeply embedded in our history in a way that no other two languages can be. No, no, no other two languages are anything like as basic to our whole way of life as Latin and Greek. The, the doctors are still using Greek to uh, express medical names, names of medicines, names of new diseases or diseases which they discover and so on and so on. Latin is still used, of course, in the church, but um, also for television. Television is Greek. Uh, well, no, it's, it's half Greek and half Latin. Vision is Latin, tele is Greek. Tele is distance in Greek, telos is distance in Greek. So it's distance vision, a television. So you're, you're, you're still today going back to Latin and Greek in order to name the new things that you're creating. Uh, Latin and Greek are not irrelevant. They're, they're deeply relevant. Therefore, you're... In learning Latin, you're learning, you're learning your culture, you're learning your history, you're learning your roots, which you aren't in any other subjects. Maybe one or two minor exceptions, but but um, those two languages cover because it's the Greeks who set the models for many of the Latins. The Latins were not naturals in literature; they were natural. The Latins were naturals in warfare. They were good at war and they're good at law, but they aren't naturally good at art. They imitated the Greek artists. <coughs> Greece had a huge part to play in forming Rome. Rome had <coughs> handed on what it gained from the Greeks and added its own law and, and uh, soldiering. Then third main reason why Latin and Greek are an incomparable education is because of the uh, well, the, the culture, the uh, oh, but I, I can't think of it for the moment. That's pretty dumb. It's okay. Um, it's okay. I, I, I have a follow-on that's related to this, and it might remind you. Um, go on. 
Bishop, apparently Bishop Lefebvre was involved with Vatican II, and he also lobbied to have Vatican II documents in Latin, and that was refused. Yes. He yes. tried to press for that. Yes, um, because Latin is so clear. Uh, once you pin down something in Latin, it's pinned down. It's clear. You know exactly what it's saying. And ambiguities is cut out by, by the use of Latin. Whereas the heretics don't like precise language. They don't like Latin. They don't like, I don't know about Greek. They, they prefer Greek to Latin because Greek you can fool around with more easily than Latin. Latin is very difficult to fool, fool around with. It's like blocks of marble. Um, but it's nevertheless very expressive and expresses the most exactly possible ideas in philosophy and theology, which is where you need them, which is where you need precision uh, for doctrine. The Catholic doctrine must be clear. The heretics hate that clarity. Therefore, the heretics do anything, anything to get away from Latin. Um, to me, that's to me that's evidence. The fact that 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 he he put a motion in to, to translate the documents to Latin and it was officially resisted. To me, that's evidence yes. they knew exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to to bake ambiguity into the documents. Absolutely. That to me, yes. Yes, that's correct. And they succeeded. the The documents of Vatican II are thoroughly ambiguous which they could not have been if they had had to be turned into Latin. So, as you say, these people knew what they were doing. They wanted to get mm. away from the Latin church. But the Latin Latinity was a great strength of the, of the true church, is a great strength of the true church. Latin will come back. It's international, amongst other things. And it's, it's secure. It's much easier to be secure in Latin than it is to be in English or German or any of the any of the, the, the modern day languages. That's interesting. Did you did you remember the third point of the of the, the Let me think languages? I, I have it. Should have it at this point. Um, it's discipline, the culture. Oh, there's something else. There's something okay. different. Okay. I'm sorry, it may come okay. back. It'll, it'll probably come back during our talk. That's okay. Maybe. We'll get Keep there. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, by the way, Dr. Jones often makes the point, because the word logos is a Greek word, and it yes. there's like a 200 translations. It says so much. One word from Greek says so much in English, basically. Um, but he often says that biblical times, like... Christian times were um, where Hebrew genealogy and history was melded with Greek philosophy. And that's why it was such a powerful time that those two things were coming together. The respect yes. for history and the respect for philosophy. Yes. 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 I haven't read him on that subject, but I know that he is keen on logos. Logos is order. You, you can translate it by order. There's one translation. Reason is another translation. Um, 
literally word, which is an order and a reason, so to speak. But St. John's Gospel, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. St. John's Gospel was written in Greek. I assume the other Gospels were in Aramaic, but the fact that he, he, okay. Sorry. Um, The Gospel of Matthew was originally in, in Aramaic. But uh, it was, or or it may have been in Hebrew, I'm not sure. But the first version of Matthew was uh, in one of those languages. Um, and then the second version, there's another version which Matthew wrote in Greek. I think Mark was written in Greek. I think, I'm certain Luke was written in Greek and John was written okay. in Greek. Okay. Okay. Oh, there you go. Matthew is the exception. Otherwise, they would be Greek, yes. Interesting. Okay. Because the language lent itself to the philosophy, essentially. Um, Well, it was the common language of the whole of the Mediterranean. Greek was the common language. So if you wanted to write a language which would, would, would appeal to all of the churches, it would be Greek that would do it. Okay. Uh, but my understanding was in the earliest days of Christianity, Rome was split between Latin and Greek. And that's what that's how we, we are now with the Orthodox and the Catholics now. It, that's, that was the beginning of the split. Yes, uh, for sure. Between, Latin, between Rome and Constantinople, the difference was Latin and Greek. And that was a big difference. But Latin was became the language of the church. While Greek is the language of the New Testament. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. I, I don't know that history, that, but much for me to learn there. Um, I was, because I'm, I, I think it's sort of a known thing that kids... In in the UK and Australia, they're big on the gap year. When you're before you go to college, you go traveling for a year or two and quote unquote find yourself. But it, for me, it came late. I was very driven professionally. I I didn't really start to really search and struggle with my path until I was in my early thirties. But I was comforted to learn how far and wide you searched for truth in your earliest professional days until you stumbled on Thomistic theology. You must have realized the magnitude of your discovery as that's when you began began to write regularly about your learnings long before you were Catholic. Um, Yes, I guess that's right. I'm not sure I did all that much writing before I entered the Catholic Church. I don't okay. think I did. I don't think I did do much writing. I already had a number of things sorted out before I came across it on St. Thomas Aquinas. But but St. Thomas Aquinas was it was the biggest difference of all. That's what cleared up all kinds of questions. Um, they were no longer in doubt or no longer hanging. Let's just say. 
Right. I was very lucky because um, I was, it's when I was getting interested in the church that I got interested in St. Thomas Aquinas. I don't quite know why. Um, I can't quite remember, except that uh, yes, I was getting I was was getting interested in the church, and because it seemed to me uh, a possible solution to the mess which the world was in back in let's say 1960 67 around the, the the middle of the 60s uh, which was a a, a, a ten a decade a tenure of great confusion the 60s the 1960s there were all kinds of things going on then the doors the beatles the um, paris riots the vietnam war the assassination of kennedy uh, it was it was it was a real ten years of upheaval. It was the end of the. It was the end of an era. Vatican II, Vatican II above all was the nineteen sixties, um, and that was a disaster. The Archbishop Archbishop Bev called that the Third World War, and he said it was worse than the first two world wars, because the first two world wars were only about bodies. Whereas the Third World War, Vatican II, was about souls and the huge damage done to souls and the huge number of souls sent unnecessarily to hell. But that's that's how things were. Um, men got what, every man got what he deserved from Almighty God uh, for good or bad. Um, and the world had to go on afterwards. But after the 1960s, things were not the same. Well, it was during the 1960s that I began getting seriously interested in the Catholic Church. And at the same time, I remember running into a Jesuit priest who um, was a friend of the family. And uh, he heard what I was getting interested in. And he said, well, uh, no, it was, a, it was a, a Benedictine priest. It was a Benedictine priest who said you should read. Thank you very much, Helen. Thank you, Alan. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you're, you met the, uh, a friend who was a priest, and he gave you two paths to take. One was Thomas Aquinas. And one was St. Augustine. Okay. I've, okay. I've, I've, I've missed out on St. Augustine. But I did pick up a book of St. Thomas Aquinas uh, of philosophical extracts, and it was in English. And I read it once, I read it twice. And then I went to see a Jesuit priest who was a friend of the family. And uh, he said to me, if you're interested, if you like it, then why don't you read the Summa Theologia itself? So I was very lucky because that way I, I got into the Summa. I did what he said, and I found that the Latin, the Latin, it was an edition with Latin and English, and I found that the Latin was a lot more clear than the English. English is a muddy language for philosophy, but Latin is clear, and it's very, it's, and Thomas Aquinas' Latin is very simple, but you have to think, 
You have to think in order to understand what he's saying. It's not difficult to understand, but you've got to decipher it. You've got to, you've got to tear it all out, so pull it all out, so to speak. And just one page or two, a couple of pages can take three quarters of an hour if you were, if you really want to understand what he's saying. It's mm. remarkable, remarkable stuff. That's incredible. That's incredible. So that's what, wisdom. Yes. That's what um, put me on track, so to speak, because I was lucky. Uh, I can say I was very lucky, or it was Almighty God leading me. That's that's basically what it was. The Almighty God arranged me to meet the Benedictine priest, and they arranged me to meet the, the Jesuit priest. Before I came into the church, I met oh quite a lot, quite a number of priests, Carmelites, Benedictines, and Jesuits especially, and they all gave me something. And. Uh, then I managed to put it all together. But I, I think I can almost certainly say that Almighty God was already leading me before I, before he led me to St. Thomas Aquinas. He was setting me up for St. Thomas Aquinas, I would think. I, I don't pretend to read the mind of God, but, but uh, that- It's very, it's very amazing. Sorry, it's very amazing that you could see the wisdom in, uh, Thomas Aquinas writing before you were Catholic and then how quickly you went from being received as Catholic and then being um, ordained as a priest and then like within a seven years or something you were a bishop like from from becoming Not Catholic quite. to priest like it was Not incredibly fast you were chosen by Lefebvre what's that I, it wasn't quite seven years it was rather more than that Let's, okay. uh, let me think about it. 88, I was a bishop. Uh, 71, I was, uh, became Catholic. So that's 71 to 88, it's 17 years, 17 years, not just 12 years. So it's a little okay, more. But you, but you were, you were only Catholic maybe for two years before you were ordained. How long were you Catholic before you were ordained? I guess you had to do the seminary. So four years. I, four I, years. I, okay. I did the seminary for four years. Um, he, the, the Archbishop cut it down. The, the usual six years he cut down to five years because of the urgency of getting some priests out on the ground. And then, uh, the five years were cut down to four years because they already had a, a, a university degree. So I I did move fast, but not all that fast. So yes, okay, I stand corrected, but uh, it was lightning fast by relative terms. <laughs> yeah, but um, so there was a point where Archbishop Lefebvre asked for divine guidance when he was he he. He knew he he needed to to um, consecrate bishops, but yes. he he wanted a sign. He wanted a sign, and he he got he got some indications that he was doing the right thing. I think yes. before and after, but he sure. knew he knew he. I mean, he, he was being led that way. Basically, that's how it seemed. I think that's correct. He was a man who followed providence and didn't try to lead it. He didn't try to tell God what to do. He asked God what to do. 
and and Almighty God led him because he was willing to be led. If he had not been willing to be led, he he, he couldn't have done what he did. Um, the recent consecration of Russia by the Pope. Do you have any comments on that? I don't believe it's the real thing. It's not the real okay. McCoy. It's um, a lightweight shuck off. He wanted to shuck off all of these um, souls pressing him to perform the consecration. And he's fed up with being harassed by Catholics that he should do the consecration. So he did this dummy affair to shut them up. And now they'll go and see him and say, they'll say, Holy Father, you must consecrate Russia. He says, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. What can you do with a person like that? Mm -hmm. But the, the consecration itself, the words, one little example, which is very clear, that Our Lady didn't ask for, was that Ukraine should be added in with Russia. I consecrate the Ukraine and Russia. It's almost as though he's deliberately wanting to show that he's not doing what Our Lady asked. I'm afraid this man is diabolical. Okay. Uh, it's, it's serious to say, but Almighty God has got under control and knows, Almighty God knows what he's doing. You were, you, were only blocks, you were only blocks apart in Argentina for a time between the current Pope and, and the work you were doing. Is that true in Buenos Aires? One moment. I don't quite understand what you're asking. Uh, I, I think the current Pope came from Argentina, and you were in Argentina at the same time. There was a time you were together, not far apart. That's true. Go on. I never met him. Uh, I never talked to him. That was the question. I just if you, if you had any history of meeting or knowing one no, another. None at all. None at all. Okay. Okay. Um, did you your did you have your calling to do your writing? I mean, were you partly trying to process what you were learning, or you were trying to share the wisdom you were processing? Um, you became daily daily writings of analysis and understanding of Thomism was where you started, I think. Possibly. Possibly. But I think it's less than that, less than that and more than that. Uh, I think it was... Um, I think it was the desire to share with readers, whoever wanted to read. I, I didn't want to push it upon anybody who didn't want to read, but if anybody wanted to read, they were welcome to read my own version of what the world needs, what the church needs, what souls need. The basic breakdown of what the problem is today. And that problem is basically the refusal of God, the denial of God. That's the basic problem. And that, I think, is what comes through above all if you if one reads the things I've written one after another I think you one finds that the basic theme is man is without God and that is his ruination because 
is made by God, for God, for God's heaven. And that's the purpose of his life. And if he achieves that purpose, he's going to be happy. If he doesn't achieve that purpose, he's going to be very unhappy for eternity. And unchangeably, that's the frightful thought. Once you're in hell, you can never again get out. It's a harsh truth, a terrible truth. But uh, God doesn't deceive anybody. People know that if they fool around until they die and drop dead, they're going to fall into hell and they're not going to get out again. They do know that. They are told. Almighty God finds a way of telling them, so they better watch out. And it's because men have got an immortal soul, which is a very precious object. They've got an immortal soul. They cannot not have an immortal soul. That immortal soul is not going to die when they die. The soul will carry on and it will be forever in the condition in which it deserves to be by its own choice when it died. And that may be the position of the, the state of a saint, or it may be the state of a great sinner. And one's eternity depends upon that. That's the reality of the framework. That's the framework of man's life on earth. He is primarily and immediately a creature of God. Created, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves, says the psalmist. We did, mankind did not design himself. It's God who designed this extraordinary being with consisting both of spirit and matter. The above man, God and the angels are spiritual beings. Obviously, God quite different to the angels. Nevertheless, the angels are only creatures. God is not only a creature. He is the creator. So that's one, two, the angels, three, man, who's still spiritual by his free will. But he's also material with a body. He's spirit and matter tied together. And then beneath man is purely material, animal, vegetable, mineral. So man has his place in the universe. And that place is an, an extraordinary place. It's not like any other of the six places. And man is a combination of spirit and matter. And the matter, his body, carries his spirit. And that's the purpose. Of the, the spirit is the purpose of the body in the case of a human being. Therefore, this body will carry us until death. At death, the soul is going to live, but the body will die. And then the soul will be rejoined by the body at the general judgment. These are ancient, these are pure and sheer truths of the of the Catholic catechism. That's what the Catholic Church is always taught. It's the reality. And that means that if man turns away from God, he makes a he's bound to make a profound mess of his life. 
he's going to die miserable and he's going to be miserable for eternity. These are ancient truths which can easily be mocked today, but they're true. Well, it's kind of interesting your journey because surprisingly, I didn't I didn't expect this until your biography, but you were raised in academic atheism. I mean, you had church at home, you had religion at home, I think, but but you're when you were getting older into college, you were atheistic. At least that's yes. that's the teaching you were receiving before you yes. before you found your way. Yes. Yes. So you yes, know right. what you're talking about. <laughs> when you're talking about atheism and atheists, you know what you're talking about. That's a sweet way of putting it. I think that's <laughs> that's at least partly true, yes. Because I was using my mind to deny God for a, a number of years. Uh, and he was lying in wait for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next question. Oh, I don't know if you you would have heard about this. There's an internet phenom. His name is Dr. Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian university professor. I know. And of uh, you do know who who I'm talking about? Yes, I do. This he he's kind of famous for never. He's clear. I mean, he did a biblical series called the um, psychological significance of the biblical stories. And he's done one yes. on Exodus since then, but that was that was Genesis. But I, 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 back when I was listening to that, I, I did find it very valuable, even though he wasn't coming from a religious perspective. Right. Anyway, the news this the news this week was that his wife Tammy apparently they I mean they've had some troubles with health and other things, and apparently a family friend taught her the rosary, and so for the yes. last few years she's found a lot of solace in the rosary. And the news came out this week that she converted to Catholicism. Yes, she be, uh, so she became a Catholic, and I was touched by the French proverb that Doctor White mentioned in the book. Um, that one convert is worth two apostles. Yes. Do you do you have any any comment on on this? Oh, very much so. Um, it's clear that converts who come upon the truth as adults have a special uh, love of the truth, a special love of the faith that they've found. And they can be crackerjack apostles. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, not necessarily all converts. Some converts, of course, fall back again. Uh, human nature is human nature. Human beings are free. Human beings choose what they want to do. Um, so nobody is obliged to stay converted, so to speak. But... Um, it very often is the case that converts are more fervent than people who never had to convert. So they they want everybody else to get hold of this truth, this light that they got hold of themselves, and they uh, they they are apostolic accordingly. Let's say they are. They're all the time striving to share with 
as many other people as possible, the the glories that they have found themselves. So uh, this means that um, uh, they they are especially fervent. That's always been the case. Uh, it's it's normal for new converts to have to be, uh, you, you know, you you have, need to turn a fire extinguisher on a new convert because he's just he's on fire. You have to get the put the fire out uh, because you know the new convert is out of control. He just can't can't keep can't shut up. So you know it takes a little. Good, good sense to calm down uh, during that period, but uh, the the fervor is is a great spiritual advantage. It needs to be exploited as much as possible uh, while the wind is at your back, so to speak. You do the pedaling when the wind is at your back, not when it's at your front. So when the wind is at your back, you do your most. You, you make the most progress possible. Um, Yes, I, that that's a pattern you you often see. The I actually, ironically, I, I learned I learned about the Latin Mass from a friend who converted as an adult. He came from a Protestant faith, and then he went to Anglican, and then he went to Catholicism, and then he went to TLM. Yeah. <laughs> and he's the one that taught me about the, the traditional Mass. Yeah, which is ironic. Yes. And I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was, okay, I only have maybe five questions. Can you hang in there for maybe sure. 20 more minutes? Okay. Oh, no, no, no problem. Okay, fantastic. Um, I was struck by your insight that you saw in the apparitions of Our Lady, you found a complete and perfect combination between the horrors of the modern world and the rich and deep clarity of ancient truth. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you have any further comment or insight on this perspective? Um, no, I would only say that it's still true. Uh, that, that what characterizes her what I found characterized her apparition, especially with Garabando, which is not approved by the church. It's not properly fully disapproved, but neither is it approved. The, the, the Catholics are not encouraged to go after Garabando, whereas they should be. In my opinion, they should be. The evidence for me is clear. 2,000 apparitions of Our Lady, of, of uh, yes, of Our Lady to these four mountain girls in the north of Spain simple good simple girls um age around 10 11 12 i think uh it was a stupendous series of apparitions to match the stupendous deterioration of vatican ii the apparitions were 61 to 65 the um the council was 20, 62 to 1965 uh of, it seems to me obvious that Our Lady appeared 2,000 times to the four mountain girls in order to bolster the true religion 
when it was being destroyed, when it was being deliberately undermined and destroyed. Um, and that was the gist of the events. That was the gist of the great prophecies, a great warning, a great miracle, a great, um, a great uh, chastisement, which is still still to come. And the the warning and the miracle and the chastisement are the measure of the seriousness of the attack on the true religion. Uh, the, uh, the the content of the messages is the clearest sign of the traditional nature of the solution. Tradition is the answer. Uh, she says, the, the Holy Eucharist, a prayer, and so on. She, all her remedies, the rosary, all her remedies are absolutely classical. So she's, she is completely faithful to the real religion. At the same time, she is completely aware of the gravity of the situation. And she's saying, there's going to be a great chastisement. This is not somebody fooling around with words. It's not mm -hmm. somebody telling things she doesn't know. These are things that she knows because she's told by her divine son. And therefore she is both completely faithful and completely up to date. Whereas what I would, fi would find with many Catholics was they were one or the other. Either they were right up to date and they wanted to change everything inside the church from top to bottom, or they were completely traditional and they didn't want anything to do with the modern world. So, so either people sank themselves in the modern world and forgot about God, or they sank themselves in God and didn't want to know anything about the modern world. Well, that's not Catholic either. Catholics should be straining at the leash to help their fellow human beings and to help most those in, those in the most need. Well, there's a limit of what you can do to people. You can't help them if they don't want to be helped. Therefore, it depends upon them whether they're going to listen to you or not. But nevertheless, you've got to be saying the things that they need to hear, whether they like it or not. For their own good, they need to be told the truth which doesn't depend upon them, and it doesn't depend upon me. The truth is out there, it's a given. I didn't invent it, I didn't create it, I didn't choose it. It's not, it, it's, it's out there quite independently of me. Therefore my business is simply to say what it is. And they, they, they'll, they'll tell me, I'll tell them this is as it is, and they say get lost, or, I tell them I, I, I tell them what it is, and they say, yes, that makes sense. It's up to them. But uh, whatever it is, it's independent of me, and it's independent of them. It's God's truth. <laughs> um, in, in your in your experience from seminary to seminary, is it true that Father Flanagan? ripped off a letter that could only be opened by asbestos gloves 
after you refused to spout socialist claptrap to a tribunal interview of your candidacy? <laughs> a rising star in? Father Flanagan could see your potential and your drive and your, and your, your, where you were headed. And, um, and somehow these interviews were coming up for different seminaries. And you were even then running into liberalism and modernism as Absolutely. a barrier. Oh, no doubt at all. Uh, the, when at last, uh, thank you very much. Uh, excuse me a moment. Sure. Oh, there's no doubt about that. The uh, when things calmed down is when I got to Acorn. And it's Father Flanagan who sent me to Acorn, which is the Assembly of Archbishop Lefebvre. Although he didn't agree with it. Because for Father Flanagan, um, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre was an enemy of the Pope. Now, Father Flanagan's idea, which is a uh, was quite a common idea at the time, is that the Pope was a saint, Pope Paul VI was a saint, and it's the bishops who were the trouble. So Father Flanagan accused all the bishops, but he would not accuse the Pope. So if okay. uh, if Archbishop was accusing the Pope, then Father, then Father Flanagan didn't, no longer agreed with him. Nevertheless, he sent me there because he said to me, if you can't keep your mouth shut, there's only one place for you, and that's a cool. So he said it <laughs> because I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once again, um, Providence was leading. And he sent me to wake home without realizing what, what he was doing. <laughs> it sounded like it was it sounded like it was two or three <laughs> seminaries before it before you found Ekon. Yes, I tried or they found you. I tried well, I tried the seminary of, of Wanush in nineteen seventy-one, and that failed. Uh I was very politely shown the door. Uh, then I tried the the Brompton Oratory in London, uh, and that failed when I was very politely shown the door. And the second time, uh, I went down to Father Flanagan with my, being thrown out the second time, I went down Father Flanagan with my tail between my legs, like a whipped dog. And I said, what about it? He said, he said, that's when he said, well, if you can't keep your mouth shut, then, then there's only one place for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a funny journey there. Um, I, I was just commenting that we talked about this a little bit earlier, that your, your mother was a, as American as apple pie. But I heard you recently in an interview mention that you were quite culture shocked by American culture when you first moved there. It's quite um, true. Well, I didn't move there. And I beg about go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Well, there was a second part of this because you were talking about liberty versus Catholic truth, and yes, 
and the because because Americans are so um, attached to the concept of liberty and being American, sometimes they can be Catholics on Sunday or versus living their lives on Catholic truth. That's kind of how he put it, Doctor White. Uh, so I, I guess I was just wanting you to try and if you could share the culture shock you went through with the American culture. Uh, that's interesting. Um, indeed, it was when I was, I, I, visit, I had visited uh, years before the United States, but only once. And I'd like what I'd run into. I, and perhaps I hadn't thought about it all that much. But the second, when I arrived there as a priest, uh, and with, that was in 1982, I think. <clears throat> 1982. Um, when I arrived as a priest in 1982, I, I visited as a tourist, maybe in 1977. I can't remember exactly. Um, but I... Uh, when I arrived as a priest, I found myself on very unexpected ground. Um, I found myself, it's difficult to describe, but um, float, I found myself kind of adrift. The, these Americans, these white people, looked like Europeans, but they were very different. I found to my surprise, uh, I was completely fooled to begin with, so to speak. Um, I was assuming, assuming that the, the Americans were idiots or that they were... Uh, Perfect, or that they were anything extraordinary, but I I hadn't run run into what they're very different from Europeans, and it's because of this religious liberty, because their their minds are free. They they cultivate freedom, and that means that they they do not have in their minds and in their souls, a framework of life which they accept and which they fall in line with, which they submit to. These people don't want to submit. And they're very different from Europeans. Europeans have got hundreds of years of civilization behind them. Americans haven't. Americans began, so to speak, in 1620 with the landing at uh, Boston Bay, was it? Uh, May, mm -hmm. The Mayflower landed where? It was at Boston Bay or some little village 
I forget. Uh, no, it was, it was, it must have been at the very most a settlement of Indians. Anyway, it was in Massachusetts, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and from then on, the, the Puritans, the Puritans dominated. The Puritans are the spiritual core <laughs> of, of the United States. And they are already Protestants. They're fervent Protestants. They are aggressive Protestants. They are, excuse me the expression, so to speak, revolting Protestants. You know, there's Protestants in revolt. They're in revolt against the old system which has chased them out of England. Um, right. And that spirit of revolt radiates out from Massachusetts ever since. Right. Uh, and, somewhere, I can't remember if it was an interview, but you, you, I think it was that you said that no cardinals, no kings. That's kind of what defines that revolt. No cardinals, no kings. Yes, that's Jefferson. Yeah, okay. Je Jefferson is a real revolutionary. Um, I swear eternal death. Do you know the temple of Jefferson in Washington, D.C.? Mm -hmm. you, know, well, you know the temple I mean? It's circular. Um, it's in those... I'm not those, sure. Those glorious I, 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 I have toured the Capitol. Uh, I'm not sure if I remember that one. I remember the Lincoln Monument, but... Right. Oh, not far from it is the Jefferson Monument. And oh, it's got it's got it's got uh, writing all on the wall. I think yes, quotations. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And it says, "I upon um, upon the altar of God, I swear." This is something like it. It's not exactly. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but more or less, upon the altar of God, religious language. You know, it's just, upon the altar of God, I swear, eternal death to anyone who would imprison my mind. Something like that. That's the sense. Okay. Okay. And it's it's a spirit of revolt, quite simply. And he's going to go on swearing, fighting to the death, on the altar of God, fighting to the death, anybody who wants to impose upon him any doctrine. That's it. It's, it's absolutely. So then, how do how do how do uh, American Catholics reconcile those two sort of worldviews? Good question. How do they integrate that? Good question. <laughs> Ask them. Yeah, yeah. Them. I'll have Try to. Try asking them. Uh, yes. That's what they say. They will say, um, "Well, of course." Uh, What will they say? They will say that liberty is the liberty is what makes possible truth. That's what they will say. It's mm -hmm. thanks to American liberty that Catholicism is thriving in the United States. Mm. They, 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 they bend things around so that uh, they can enjoy, continue and enjoy their liberty. Mm -hmm. So, and there's liberties. Okay. 
Liberty will give you truth. That's the, what they're going to say to you. Not truth will give you liberty, which is what our Lord says, but liberty will give you truth. And therefore, liberty is superior to truth. Liberty is more important. That's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Did, did, I don't know if if you how much of Dr. Jones' recent book, but did were you surprised by any of the findings of Dr. Jones' work on the Holocaust narrative? I have. <laughs> Excuse me. I haven't read the whole of the book. I read the preface and the conclusion. Uh. I'm not. If he concludes that the Holocaust is is not a historical fact, that there weren't six million, uh, that they weren't gassed, nobody was gassed. That's surprising, but that's the truth. Uh, and there was no deliberate policy of extermination of Jews ever in the Third Reich. Those are three main points. If if that if if he concludes that those three points, then I think he's right. Um, he he really analyzed on. the main narratives. He analyzed the main narratives from how they started and how and how they got propagated. And yep. uh, and so I I like the way he went at the story because he was because that's his, that's his expertise as well. He's a literature professor, so he could yes. forensically analyze where did this narrative come from. That I found yes. it very powerful that way. Yes. I'm sure it is. I haven't looked at it. There are a number of good writers on, on the Holocaust who tell the truth. Uh, it's, un, it's, uh, it's a great misery that um, so many people are deceived or so many people are unclear as to what they are. <laughs> what are the historical facts? But I'm sure, I'm sure that that's the case, that there were not six million, there were no gas chambers, and uh, there was no extermination policy. Get policy people, emigration policy, get Jews out of Germany, yes, but kill Jews in Germany, no. That wasn't the idea. Um, okay, I only have a couple more left here. Um, have you read Dr. Taylor Marshall's book, Infiltration? And if you have, do you have any comment? No, I haven't, to tell you the truth. Um, it's a book I'd be interested in reading. A book possibly I know quite a bit, I know, I know already quite a bit of the content, because I have some idea how the church has been infiltrated. But it's a very interesting question. I just, I just, just because I just finished your biography, this is next up for me, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and yes. I'll do I'll do a book review I'll do a book review as well. But I, yes. I'm positive, I'm only barely into the forward, but I'm positive it's going to be interesting. Yes, sure, sure, absolutely, yes. No, it's it's the truth. Um, by the weakness of man, by the wicked weakness and wickedness of man. Um, the church has been thrown open to her enemies. And the enemies are now exulting, uh, charging all over the building, 
uh, smashing computers, uh, breaking archives, uh, burning papers, wreaking, wreaking havoc inside the building of the church. Almighty God is allowing it. Almighty God knows exactly what he's doing. It's not a problem. Uh, and um, it's going to go on for a while yet before it, 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 it'll get worse before it gets better. Um, this quotation of yours, and, and we were just touching on this, but I, I just found this quotation. I think this is, this might be your signature quotation. Um, you said, truth remains the purpose of authority, and authority is not the purpose of truth. Authority Correct. comes after truth and not before. Correct. Um, do you mind being likened to the voice of the trumpet? No, it's, I, I'm sure it's... <laughs> uh, no, I don't mind, as long as I'm telling the truth. Again, it's not the trumpet that's valuable, it's the truth that's valuable. If, 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 if the truth is valuable and you've got a trumpet to blast it, then that's an excellent thing. But if you're trumpeting lies, heaven forbid. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts or reflections on, uh, I mean, to me, it's, it's incredible. You and Dr. or you and Archbishop Lefebvre found one another early in, but the foresight that he had and the foresight that you had and the tracks that we are on is all coming true today. It's just this, this uncommon nonsense, like you said, um, is obvious now. <laughs> so it's just kind of incredible that the two of you saw it all coming and vindicated in a way, even though you'd rather we didn't take this path. Yes. Uh, well, it's, to see the truth is a gift of God. No doubt about that. Therefore, it's not um, to the Archbishop's credit or to mine. Maybe that he or I, I, I don't compare myself with him. I don't compare myself with him. I'm much less a figure than he was. Um, but uh, But in a sense, in a sense, it's not our affair. Um, Almighty God gives to each of us a dose of truth, a dose, some dose of truth. Uh, and then it's up to, up to us what we make of it. Uh, the Archbishop had a unique dose of truth by his great virtue. I think, it, so there is some definitely some credit due to him, so to speak. But mainly the credit is God's because when he presents a truth, uh, you get it as a truth, you receive it as a truth. And then it's your business to share it out. Um, so the Archbishop was true to his mission. It was, he was true to what God wanted. And he achieved the extraordinary achievement of um, helping, of serving to save Catholic tradition, which was enormous. 
because where would you know you, you could very well ask where would we be today if there hadn't been the archbishop if the archbishop hadn't lived and suffered and done everything he did where would tradition be today it's actually the the, the more you look at it is the more clear it is that it's he, it's he that served to save tradition um so we're very lucky to have had him and it's up to each of us to do what we can to make sure that his message gets out because it's his message that matters because it's his message that is god's message so you know once again we it's the whole thing is objective it's not my feelings my preferences my likes it's my wish to get to heaven the archbishop said i, I want to die a catholic and not a protestant but the important the important thing to say to to watchers to people to people watching and to people uh listening the important thing is to say pray the rosary because um only when enough souls are praying the rosary will they pray for the grace for the pope to perform the consecration of russia properly not some silly imitation um therefore uh listeners uh, watchers uh get hold of a raised rosary and pray the rosary pray the rosary at least five mysteries a day preferably 15 mysteries a day and uh that is what is going to rescue the world today from the nuclear bombs and from everything that's what our lady is asking for she doesn't ask for anything else she doesn't ask us to pray that just the our father or or, or just something else uh, just a consecration to mary or a consecration to jesus all of those things are good but what she asks for and she knows what she's saying she knows what she knows what she's asking for. what she asks for is the souls pray the rosary that's what's important that's my conclusion from all of these years of Vandiyava, these wandering years these wander years uh of you know roaming through the wilderness i it seems to me clear it all it in a way it all comes down to as many souls as possible praying the rosary then the mother of god can obtain the consecration of russia then russia plows into the nations and sorts them out and then the world can come through the chastisement and come out the other side I like that. That's a positive note to leave us on. <laughs> I like that. I like that path forward. Um, you are invited. I don't know if Alan has shared this with you, and I, I don't. I don't know how your you, um, ability is for the for international travel, but you're invited to be our keynote speaker for our day two of our offsite in February. I've sent all the details to Alan. Okay. Um, but if you if you can't travel we could probably arrange for a dial-in if if you're interested so you could look at the i sent the lineup of the speakers and the topics and you sure. can just let us know if you'd be interested but we'd sure. be very 
Lucky to have you, yes. What part of the United States would that be? I'm up in Montana near the border, near the Canadian border. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It's, in, it's, near, it's near Whitefish, Montana. Very near Whitefish, Montana. Wow. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, and, how many, and how many people do you think you're sort of expecting there? Uh, we're targeting 40 seats booked. And the, uh, the actual lodge has, has room for 25 um, bookings, but there's lots of extra accommodations nearby. So we're aiming yeah. for 40 seats in the conference, yes. How long is it due to last? It's two days, two days of talks, but they're not all day. They're from um, 9 until 2.30 per day on a Friday and a Saturday, basically. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do some events in the area and some local favorites, basically. Well, I, I'm sure I could do, I'm not sure I could travel all the way out there and back. I'm not as young as I was. I'm not the man I was. Uh, I'm sinking towards the grave, uh, <laughs> which will be perhaps quite welcome, especially if I can get in before everything before the ceiling falls on our heads but i don't know if i can do that <laughs> it depends upon God well, your mind your mind is still working just for the record your mind is still working just fine <laughs> well yes yes sort of though you wouldn't we, you, you you wouldn't know but um i'm sure i could do the electric thing you know a dial in of some kind or other if you'd like me to do okay that. and of course okay. it can be done it could be done with a screen so that you would see, you would see me as well as hear me if you wanted. Yes, yes. So, if so if what, you, I, I didn't have all of the details until yesterday. So Alan has all of the details as of as of yesterday. So if if you yes. want to look at the lineup, you'll get you get the sense of it, and we'll just keep talking. But it would be really great to have you involved. It'd be a good fit, actually. Okay. Well, it's easy. it's uh, that. You know, an electronic appearance is is uh, is within anybody's possibilities or should be. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic, yeah, fantastic. Thank you, thank you, Bishop, and thank you okay. for your time today. Okay, my pleasure. If if okay. you uh, if you the third point about the ancient languages, if it comes to you, please have Alan send it because I will put it in the show notes. Um. Alan, can you find it on? Do you remember this morning? Yes. Can you find it? Alan may be able to find it immediately because I was laying out those three points this morning. I may oh, okay. I may have compressed two into one, but I should be able to give it to you immediately. Alan can most likely find it. Yeah. Okay. I want a discipline, yeah. then. Uh, discipline and what is called. Discipline is human. Yes. And Latin is embedded in the history of the West. Um, yes. Discipline, humanness, uh, roots. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You did touch on all of those. So we weren't That's missing any. We just didn't count them properly. Okay. okay. I put two together. I put discipline and humanness together, which they are in Latin. They are in Latin. You can't learn the, the grammar without learning that the slave killed the queen or the queen killed the slave, so to speak. So uh, you've got the discipline, then you've got 
the fact that it is purely human, it's, that's crucial, it's human. Because today's world is inhuman. It's all scientific, quote unquote. It's miserable and mm. it's empty. There's, there's no love there. Um, in for a penny, in for... Oh, one moment, one moment, one moment, one moment. Blood is thick and water is thin. Nothing venture, nothing win. In for a penny, in for a pound. Love is what makes the world go round. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's no love in modern education. And I'm not going about <laughs> sentimentality, but but this this deliberately being as cold as possible. I can understand it, but it, it, you people can't live on it. People cannot mm. live on it. Human beings have souls, and they're souls that are hungry for love. You can't get away from that. You're not going to get away from it. Of course, you don't want sentimentality because that's not that's bad food. Love is good food. So you need genuine love. Human beings need genuine love. And they aren't getting it in today's world, nor in today's education. And, and it, it, that's what's the frustration of youth. They're not learning how or where to love sanely, wisely, and properly in the way they need. So anyway, okay. Otherwise, I'm going to go until midnight. You better stop. No, that was good. That's a very good finish. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time okay. and energy. Okay. <laughs> and we'll be in touch on the other. Okay. And we'd love to have you. Okay. We'll Thank you, Bishop. You. Okay. God, okay. Bye. God Take bless. Care. Take care. Bye.
Kiss yourself.